We thank you, our God, this morning for this glorious opportunity to sing to you. And we sing to you because of all that you have done for us. The first song describes our hope. The great hope that one day when heaven came down, glory filled our soul that one of these days we're going to be home with you. The second song describes of how great and how wonderful you are. And we just finished singing a song that exalts your name because of who you are. You are the Lord. And forever your truth will reign. And heaven and earth do rejoice. And they wonderfully proclaim that you are exalted. I can't think of an even better way to come together as brothers and sisters, protected by the wonder and glory of our Savior, gathered together to this meeting that we call worship. For it is all about you. Heaven is consumed by it. All of nature even proclaims it. And this morning you've given us a voice that we may together rejoice in your holy name. Thank you, our God. Thank you for the week that you have brought us through. And may this morning, O Lord God, may we find strength and renewed energy to face a week that yet we have no idea what may face us. But we trust in you. Grant, O Lord God, that you would use your word this morning. Even though this vessel that speaks may be weak, but yet in you we are strong. And I ask, Holy Spirit, that as we do speak this morning, that you would fill us. Fill us with a power that even as the Apostle Peter spoke on the day of Pentecost... Hearts were changed, lives were rescued, church was born, all because of what you have done for us. We thank you for your word. We're grateful, Lord, that you've given it to us, not just as a book, but you've given it to us as instructions. As one individual said at one time, Lord, the Bible is basic instruction before leaving earth. Yes, it is. But it's instruction that we need while we're still here on earth. Instruction that we would know what it is to walk worthy of the vocation in which we've been called. Instruction of how it is to live by faith. Instruction to recognize and how are we as believers in this day and age to react to what seems to be a sinful world that we're surrounded with. But in the pages of truth, 
We thank you, Lord, that one thing has never changed. And that is you. And the faithfulness of your word. That from when Moses began to pen the words of the first book all the way through when John finished the final stroke of the last book. From cover to cover, it is the word of God. And it is upon that which we can find great joy and comfort and even instruction before we leave earth. So guide, O oh Lord, this morning our, our thoughts and intents of our hearts to give you the honor and the glory. And may you, O oh Lord God, change us. Continue to work in us, Lord, and change us into the image of Christ. That people would not see us, but they would see you. And that, Lord, that you would draw men unto yourself. And we'll be careful to praise you and to thank you in your matchless name. Amen. Before we begin, I'd like for you to turn to 1 Timothy chapter 4. In the first five verses of that chapter, we will use to introduce the question of the day. I think this particular first five verses also produces another question. The question of, are we in these times? But, but here, that's not the question we'll deal with this morning. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 to 5, please follow along as we read these verses. It says, Now the Spirit expressly says that in the latter times, some will depart from the faith, and giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons, and speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For every creature of God is good, and nothing is to be refused if it is received with thanksgiving, for it is sanctified by the word of God and prayer. We're not going to talk about food this morning, but we're going to talk about the conscience. The question that was posed that precipitated this particular discussion this morning is this. Is the conscience and the Holy Spirit the same thing? And then the second part of that question is how do we know if it's our conscience or the Holy Spirit speaking to us? To answer the first part of that question, we could say, okay... I'll give you the answer. You say, amen, let's go have donuts and coffee. It's going to be that fast. Because, no, the conscience of man and the Holy Spirit of God are not the same thing. Conscience, if you will, is a thing or a characteristic or, if you will, an awareness that God has instilled in us. It's a thing. In the Greek, as it is described in its verse, 
It is not a feminine or, 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 or masculine form. It's a thing. It's an it. And the Holy Spirit of God is much different. He is a person. He's a person of the triune Godhead whom, according to John chapter 16, has been sent to us by the Father for some specific reasons that we will look at later in this presentation. So there's your answer. Let's go have donuts. But, amen, yeah, I got that. But because I only work one day a week, I got to extend the meeting a little bit, if that's okay with y'all. In 1940, some of you weren't even thought of back at that time, but in 1940, there was a movie that was produced, a cartoon movie, if you will, produced by Walt Disney. The title of the movie was Pinocchio. In that particular movie, there was a cricket named, anybody know, Jiminy. There thus the staying Jiminy Cricket better way of expressing anger than other ways we do. But in the movie, Jiminy Cricket was given the task, if you will, by the blue fairy that he was to watch over this wooden boy named Pinocchio. In the movie, Pinocchio wanted to become a real boy. And according to the instructions given to Jiminy and also Pinocchio, the wooden boy, that in order for the wooden boy to become a real boy, the wooden boy had to be really good all the time. But Jiminy was given a charge. It was Jiminy's duty to make sure that Pinocchio remain good all the time. Not too far into the movie comes the saying, give a little whistle and always let your conscience be your guide. That's Jiminy's advice to Pinocchio. That when he thought or he had a question about what he should or should not do, he's supposed to whistle and then let your, always let your conscience be your guide. Well, it didn't work too well for the wooden boy because he was swindled by two cats. Thus my disdain for cats. He was swindled by two cats to not go to school like all the other good boys but to get into show business, to join a marionette show in order that he could become rich. It wasn't long after that that he finds himself in a cage. The, the owner of the marionette show caged him to keep him so that Pinocchio wasn't going to get rich but the owner of the marionette show was going to get rich. And what seemed to be a darkest time of his life, Jiminy shows up. And so does the blue fairy. 
And they begin to question Pinocchio, and you know what happens. Pinocchio starts to tell lies to cover up the mistakes he's made, and all of a sudden, a part of him begins to grow, and it's his nose. He was rescued from that, given a second chance, if you will. But it wasn't short, it wasn't long after that, that he began to follow a rough-looking boy that convinced him to go to an island where we can do whatever we want and no one's going to give us any rules or regulations. But what happened in that, as you might remember the movie, I, I doubt I'm speaking just to myself this morning, is that when they were on the island, all the things they did, all of a sudden those little boys began to turn into donkeys. But Pinocchio was able to escape. Always... Let your conscience be your guide. The passage we just read this morning tends to give us an indication that that may not be a good thing to do. For we can, as the passage says, have our conscience seared with a hot iron in order the fact that we won't even pay attention to what our conscience really has to say. Of course, the movie Pinocchio may not be the greatest source to answer this question, but it at least allows us to see what happens when our conscience is infiltrated and controlled by a world system. The word conscience itself is made up of two prepositions. This is going to thrill your heart. Made up of two prepositions that give us the meaning. This is what it means. To know together with, to have common knowledge together with someone. Thus, we at least come to the conclusion that our conscience is a guardian of morality justice and decency in the world and it is an unrefutable testimony that there is God. Why? Romans chapter 2 verses 14 and 15 inform us that God has placed in every individual that is born on the face of this earth they are given a conscience of who he is and what he expects from mankind. It's a gift that God has given. It's not something that is produced by the environment or training. It's not something that comes about because of gaining a habit. It's not something that we get through education. But even all of those things can and do influence our conscience. So as to the function of the conscience, there are three areas. The first one is obligatory, which means that urges man to do that which he regards as right and restrains him from doing that which he regards as wrong. 
It's knowing the difference between right and wrong. And may I ask you a question, dear people, this morning. Where have we as a nation gone wrong? (laughs) We don't even know in many ways the difference between right and wrong. I find ourselves, if you will, almost in the early days of the nation of Israel, where it says, because there was no king in the land, everyone did what was right in their own eyes, instead of what God would have to say. So the obligatory function of our conscience is to instruct us the difference between what is right and what is wrong. There's a judicial part of our conscience which says this, which means the conscience passes judgment upon man's decisions and acts. Have you ever done anything wrong? Let me rephrase that. I know you've all done things wrong. But have you ever done something wrong that you figure no one's going to know about this, but later on, all of a sudden, you can't sleep at night? Your mind is racing, wondering, my word, what did I just do? That's your conscience who is trying, which is trying to influence you upon decisions that you've made. And then there's the executive part of our conscience, which means that conscience executes its judgment in the heart of man. It condemns his actions when in conflict with his conviction by causing an inward disquieted distress, shame, or remorse. It also commends the man which is acted in conformity with his conscience. You didn't know that it was so complex, did you? That's what makes it so amazing, that it is irrefutable that there is God. Because conscience just don't happen by experiment in a laboratory. Even though the word conscience does not appear at all in the Old Testament. But there are instances that I want to draw your attention to. You can write them down and you can go look at them later. That we can see some of the at least aspects of what maybe a conscience was doing. Even though the word conscience wasn't being used. In fact the Old Testament draws our attention to this wonderful word heart. The heart. In fact, that's the avenue by which our conscience moves. It moves through our hearts. In order that, we would determine that we're going to do what is right, even in the face of what is wrong. Let me give you a few examples of what we're talking about here. In Genesis chapter 3, you know the story. But when God showed up that morning into the garden, which he frequently showed up to commune with Adam and Eve, where was Adam and Eve? They were hiding. They were ashamed. They were, if you will, in a moment of time of when they wanted to hide themselves from God when before they walked with him freely. 
And God asked them a question. Where are you? Interesting question for a God who's omniscient. But he says, where are you? And then he asked him another question. We, we hit ourselves because we were naked. Who said that you were naked? Their conscience through the heart caught them knowingly full well that they had disobeyed God. The second instance is in 2 Samuel chapter 24 and verse 10. God made sure that he told the nation of Israel, never take a census. Because if you do, then you will kind of begin to think of the fact that we can go to war with that nation because we got more warriors than they do and we should win. In other words, God is saying, you take a census, you're going to rely on yourself. But in 2 Samuel 24 and verse 10, David took a census. And it says, and David's heart condemned him after he had numbered the people. His heart condemned him. Instantly, he knew that what he had done, God told him not to do. In Psalm 32, verses 1 to 5, we see the heavy weight of guilt upon one who tries to hide their sin from God. It says, my bones ached within me. And then lastly, though not exhaustively, but lastly in Psalm 51, is that great song of confession of David as he faced as he's faced with the condemnation of Nathan, the prophet, after his sin with Bathsheba. And David said, Lord, create in me a new heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence, but restore unto me the joy of my salvation. David's heart ached with a passion that he was known as the one who killed the family lamb. And he repented. But in the New Testament, the word conscience appears 30 times. Let me give you a a few of those again before we get to our passage here this morning. In John chapter 8, and in verse 9, it's where they, the Pharisees bring this woman whom they caught in adultery, brought her and threw her at the feet of Jesus. And in verse 9, after Jesus speaks to them, and he says, the which one of you that is without sin, let you cast the first stone. It says that, being convicted by their conscience. Being convicted by their conscience. In Acts 24, in verse 16, 
the Apostle Paul makes sure that as he stands before one of the rulers of Rome and he's giving a defense of who he is, he makes this glorious statement. He says, this being so, I myself always strive to have a conscience without offense toward God and men. Romans 9, verse 1. The Apostle Paul's plea for the nation of Israel. And he says these words. I'm not lying. My conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Spirit that he says even to the fact that I would be willing to die myself and go and take on the punishment of hell so that all of Israel would be saved. Paul had a clear conscience. And then in 1 Peter 3.16 it says, having a good conscience. But this morning our verse in 1 Timothy chapter 4 and especially in verse 2 it says, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron. I've been told, though yet not a professional in myself, but I've been told that the best way to make a good steak is that you get the the iron hot. And you sear it on both sides. That's supposed to, I believe, keep inside those wonderful ruminating juices that make a steak, oh, so good, amen. And then you take it off. Once it's been seared, then you take it off and you put it in the oven and let it cook slowly. Let it cook slowly. But that searing literally, if you will, kills the first layer of flesh. It keeps everything else inside so that what's inside can't get out. And when we sear our conscience, we kill, if you will, the first layer of defense that we have as a believer person. And we keep everything inside. In other words, God can't get through Holy Spirit has been pushed aside. Word of God has been neglected because our conscience has been seared. The outside layer is dead. And thus the Apostle Paul writing to Timothy says, what happens because of that is that we begin to follow Doctrines of demons. We begin to say to God that those things that you say are good, I say are bad. That's the instruction given here of saying, don't eat this food. When God says, no, it's good. I've made everything good.
And so we have a problem. Always let your conscience be your guide. Scripture would tell us to be careful. So in our passage this morning, as Timothy is being instructed by God, there's this huge problem. Here it says a seared conscience, but in Romans chapter 1 and verse 21, it's referred to as a darkening of the mind. Darkening of the mind. It doesn't take you long when you read the first chapter of Romans that you come to understand the plight of mankind. The mind darkened, all of a sudden they begin to worship the creation more than the creator. And they form for themselves gods made of wood and stone and then neglect the worship of the one true and living God. Did you see in the, whether it's in the paper or on the news, just this past work week out of, the, out of Harrisburg, there was an individual, one of our, I believe is one of our representatives, I can't remember if it was a congresswoman or a senator, but she was given the task to have the opening prayer of that day. And when she did, she first gave glory to Jesus Christ for who he is and what he has done. And then secondly, she began to give praise to our president for the stance that he has taken with the nation of Israel. And then there was another whether congresswoman or senator, forgive me for not remembering, but she took great offense to that. She took offense to it because it highlighted one particular religion when there are many religions in the world. But I'm here to tell you, there may be many religions, but there's only one relationship, and that's with Jesus Christ. Truth be said, yes, Jesus is King of kings and Lord of lords. And the world may not like that because their mind has been darkened. That they would rather worship other gods than the true and living God. Their conscience. And then when this congresswoman or senator spoke of the thanking the Lord for our president to to, uh, take the side of the Jewish nation, she viewed that as being nothing more than a political stance and that one who said it needs to be squelched. Not allowed to say things like that anymore. It's not long when you come to realize As one author stated this, he said, faith cannot exist and abide alongside with a wicked intention to sin and to act against conscience. It 
in a Christian theology book that I have written by an individual by the name of Erickson, pages 617 and 618, it has this statement. It says, one of the effects of sin is that sin produces insensitivity. As we continue to sin and to reject God's warning and condemnations, we become less and less responsive to the promptings of conscience. Whereas there may be initially a tenderness when one does wrong things, the eventual effect of sin is that we no longer are stirred by the word and the spirit, even in a time of gross sins, as they're committed with no consequences. A shell, a spiritual callus, a searing of the conscience, as it were, grows upon the soul. He says perhaps the clearest example is in the ministry of Jesus, is the Pharisees who, having seen Jesus do miracles and heard his teaching, attributed that all of his work of the Holy Spirit was to honor Beelzebub, the prince of demons. Now we come to the point of our study, at least this morning, where we can biblically differentiate between what our conscience is saying when compared to what the Holy Spirit is saying. First is this. First of all, according to John chapter 16, verses 5 to 15, there are a number of characteristics which are used to describe the work of the Holy Spirit. Number one, the Holy Spirit will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and judgment. The Holy Spirit will guide us into all truth, for he will not speak of his own authority. In other words, the word of God is also the words of the Holy Spirit. And what Jesus says, the Holy Spirit will say. The Holy Spirit will never tell you to go against the word of God, nor follow the words of men. And from that passage, we also see that the Holy Spirit will glorify Jesus Christ. He will not engage himself in giving glory to anyone or anything else other than our glorious Savior in God. And secondly, according to Scripture, in the work of the Holy Spirit, it is his mission to make sure the Word of God is not only understood, but also applied to the heart of the believer. In fact, the Holy Spirit uses the word of God to guide the conscience of the believer person even in the midst of a world that has gone wrong. And thirdly, the believer has a choice to make and it is this. Will I follow the Holy Spirit's prompting or will I not follow the Holy Spirit's promptings. In Ephesians 4.30, the Apostle Paul writes that, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Dear brothers and sisters, I see this morning in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 to 5, a warning for us as believers that we need to heed. 
There is a danger that we can forsake our faith and follow after those things that are contrary to God. In fact, the passage expressly hints that if we do, there is an overall danger that our very conscience will be seared, even to the point that we will not be able to repent of our sin. My question to you this morning is this. Are you listening? Who are you listening to? As a believer in Jesus Christ, is the Holy Spirit guiding your conscience or is your conscience guiding the Holy Spirit? If you find yourselves in the presence of the second thought, I ask you to confess your sin and get back to following the Savior and his word. If you're here this morning and have never trusted Jesus Christ, if you're not sure that even if you're going to heaven, then I ask you, yes, I even beg of you, don't leave this morning without speaking to someone who can share with you the gospel, the word of truth, that you can be assured of your home in heaven. Always let your conscience be your guide. Huh. That's not usually a good rule to live by. You can carry a cricket all you want in your pocket. But what we need is to pay attention to what the Holy Spirit will be telling us in his word. And when we do, I guarantee you, you will not be disappointed. Let's pray. Again, our God, by the work of your spirit, the words that have been spoken, we leave to you to change our lives. There are times we find us listening, ourselves listening to a cricket when we should be paying attention to your spirit. Oh God, may our hearts May our minds, may our very conscience that you have given to us as a gift from you, may we always strive to allow those to be guided by your spirit through your word. So that, O oh Lord God, we would be walking testimonies of the goodness of our God through the faith that we have in his son sealed until the day of redemption by his spirit. For these things, may our conscience only in these things be our guide. For it is the name of Christ we ask these things. Amen.